If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. It'll be on the screen behind me, but if you've got a Bible this morning, please turn there, or if you've got a device, this is one of those passages where the context, I think, really helps us, opens up the passage for us, Uh, and so please uh, open up with me to Matthew 20, and we'll be looking at chapter 19 uh, as well. This parable has been called the most disturbing of all the parables. I think you'll see why as we read Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to these last workers as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that um, this is a, a hard parable. And so I pray that you would help us uh, to hear it uh, in a way that lands with us. I pray that you take this passage through your spirit and apply it to each and every heart here this morning. Some of us have heard this parable a lot over the years. Pray that we'd hear it in a fresh way. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard me say this before, you'll hear me say it a lot uh, over the years, but context is everything when you read and study your Bible. Context, context, context. And it's really important here, and unfortunately sometimes the chapter divisions that the editors have put in uh, hurt us. They're helpful, but a lot of times they also hurt us and keep us from seeing the context which really opens up the passage to us in a new and a fresh way and helps us see really the meaning of the passage. I think that's the case here with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, 
this story actually starts in Matthew chapter 19, 25 and following, really even before that. Uh, chapter 19 is clearly connected to chapter 20. And if you look in your Bible, you'll see that chapter 19, Jesus tells the story of the rich ruler. And you probably are familiar with that story. Uh, Jesus looks at the man who obviously has lots of means and wealth and says, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the man couldn't do it. You remember, he goes away sad. The disciples are seeing this interaction with Jesus and the rich ruler. And then we have this question. Look at verse 27 in chapter 19. After this interaction with the rich ruler, Peter looks at Jesus and says, We've left everything to follow you. So what can we expect, Jesus? And you see what Peter's getting at here. Peter is basically saying, we're better than the rich ruler, the rich man. Uh, we did what he, didn't, what he didn't do. We have so, he didn't sell anything. He didn't give anything to follow you. We have done it all. And so what's in it for us is really Peter's question. What's in it for me? You ever ask that question? You ever ask that question as you follow Jesus? What's in it for me? You see, that's our question too. And this parable is the response to that question. To Peter's question and our question. And so this morning, let's look at this parable of the workers in the vineyard under three headings. Let's look at the nature of the kingdom of God. We'll see here the nature of our hearts as well. And then lastly, we'll see... Uh, the nature of God, of who God is. So th that's the outline and where we're headed uh, this morning. So let's look, look at the first point, that the nature of the kingdom of God. So the parable, very clearly, the center character or figure in this parable is the landowner. He owns a home. Evidently, he's got a lot of property. He's got a vineyard on the property. And he needs work. Uh, he has work that needs to be done. And so he needs some workers. Verse 1. The landowner or the worker or the master of the house goes out early in the morning and he goes to the marketplace. And that was the place, and we see things like this today, where day workers would gather. And they would hope that someone would drive by, pull up, and they would be cho uh, chosen to go work uh, in order to make money. And so the thing I want you to see with these day workers is that they were desperate. They needed someone to notice them. Someone to choose them so that they could provide for themselves and for their families. Their only hope was that someone would choose them to work so that they could make money. Back then, they also worked 12-hour work days. They worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so in the text, when you read the third hour, that was 9 a.m. When you read the 12th hour... Uh, that were the sixth hour, that was 12 noon. When you read the ninth hour, that would be three in the afternoon. The eleventh hour was 5 p.m. Closing time was 6 p.m. And so you've got this landowner, and he goes because he needs some workers, and he goes early in the morning and hires those that are available. And then he goes back at 9, then he goes back at 12, then he goes back at 3, and then he goes back at 5, and then it's the end of the workday. Verse 8, 
He starts handing out paychecks. You didn't get paid twice a month. You didn't get paid once a month. You got paid at the end of the day. And so he starts handing out paychecks, but he does it backwards. And he starts with those who he hired at 5 p.m. And he gives them and pays them a whole denarius, which is a full day's worth of wage. Don't miss that. They worked one hour. They get paid a full day's of wage. Verse 10, and he starts working his way backwards. Well, he gets to the 6 a.m. workers. And the picture is that these 6 a.m. workers, they see what the, five, the late workers get, and so they're rubbing their hands together. <laughs> they're thinking, we are about to get paid. They're smiling, they're high-fiving as they see these checks being given out to these 5 p.m. late workers. They're thinking, we are about to make the most money that we've ever made in our life. And you get that in 10, verse 10. You sense their excitement, but you also sense their frustration and disappointment when they get paid the exact same thing as the late workers. They expected, verse 10, they expected to receive more. The workers at 6 a.m. worked harder. They worked longer. They worked in the scorch, in the heat of the day. And they got paid the exact same thing as the people who worked one hour in the cool of the day. Do you sense the tension? Do you see now why it's called the most disturbing of all parables? You most likely would never do that to anyone, would you? You see, it's disturbing because it cuts against the way you and I normally think about the world and the way we think about life. And to be clear here, this is not a parable about business principles and how to run your business. And nor is this a parable that minimizes true injustice in the world. That's not what this parable is about. As we've seen in recent weeks, there is definitely true and real injustices in the world, no question. But that's not what this parable is about. As we will see in just a few moments, there is no injustice here. This parable, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, is that the nature of the kingdom of God, and this is hard for us as Americans... But we must realize that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not. It's an entirely different realm. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an entirely different economy altogether. And like the late workers, you and I tend to think the one who works the hardest, the one who works the longest, they should get paid more. And Jesus says, not in my economy. It is an entirely different economy. It's not an economy based on bookkeeping in record-keeping, in earning. It is an economy based on radical grace. Matt LaChapa, when he was 19 years old, he was a pitcher. And when he was 19 years old, he got drafted by the San Diego Padres. And he was warming up in the bullpen to go in to be a relief pitcher in one of the games, and he suffered a massive heart attack right there in the bullpen at 19 years old. Athletic trainer comes and starts doing CPR and does CPR on Matt for 20 minutes. The ambulance comes, 
takes Matt to the hospital, and at the hospital, Matt LaChapa has a second heart attack. And after the second heart attack, he, had been, he has been unable to speak, and he has been confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And yet, the San Diego Padres, every year, sign him to a yearly contract. Why? Why? I mean, he can do nothing. All he can do is sit in a wheelchair. And Major League Baseball teams hire baseball players, good baseball players, that can play baseball. So why in the world would they sign Matt LaChapa, who's in a wheelchair? One word, grace. The owner of the Padres wants to take care of Matt. And one of the ways that he takes care of Matt is that every year he signs him to a yearly contract so that he can keep his health insurance. Friends, the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the owner. And you and I are Matt LaChapa. We contribute nothing. Jesus contributes everything. The owner takes care of us and does it all. You see, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He does absolutely everything. The Christian life from the very beginning to the very end is grace upon grace upon grace. And we hear that and we think, yes, we love grace. Well, we like the idea of grace. But oftentimes when it comes down to it, we don't really like grace because grace offends our pride because it tells us that you cannot earn this. And it offends us. And what we have to realize is that the nature of the kingdom of God and in order to receive the kingdom of God, we must stop our record keeping. We must admit that we're Matt LaChapa and that we contribute nothing. Secondly, the nature of our hearts. This passage shows us about the nature of our hearts. Remember, one of the things with the parables is they're like a mirror. They're meant to be a mirror that you're to hold up to you and look at, and it's to show you your own heart. And so I want us to hold this parable up And I want us to see our own heart, to see ourselves in this passage this morning. Look at verses 11 and 12. So the early workers received their wages, and what did they do? They grumbled. They complained. Wait a minute. We worked in the scorch in the heat of the day. We worked the entire day. Let me translate that and say that in another way. That's not fair. We deserve more. What you're doing is not right. That's what they're saying. And you see, fairness is right at the center, and injustice injustice is right at the center of their grumbling. And you know what? It's right at the center of our grumbling and complaining too. Why do we complain and grumble? Well, oftentimes it's because we don't think we're getting what we deserve. It's because we don't think we're getting what we deserve. You see, the thing that drives our grumbling and complaining is our entitlement. 
Think about the passage. That's essentially what the workers are saying, isn't it? I have rights based on my record. I worked harder. I worked longer. But notice here, verse 14. Did I not agree to pay you a denarius? There's no injustice here. I paid you what I agreed to pay you. I paid you exactly what I promised I would pay you. But they saw those early or those late workers getting what was promised to them, what they thought they deserved. They thought they deserved more. And what came out of them was grumbling and complaining and anger and entitlement. And so hold the mirror up this morning. And you know what we find is we find the exact same grumbling and complaining and entitlement resides deep inside our hearts as well, doesn't it? You see, we too, when we don't get what we want, or when we don't get what we think we deserve, we scream at God, and it might not be verbally, maybe it is, but definitely on the inside, we scream at the landowner, God, and we say, that is not fair. We're entitled to more. And we base that, I, it is not fair. You know what we base it on? Just like, the, just like the parable, on our record. I am good. Look at what I've done. This is why I deserve this. And so we say, God, I saved myself from marriage. And yet my friend has been living with her boyfriend And they're about to get married. And I want to get married. And she's getting married. And that's not fair. Or we are up for a promotion in our company. And we say, and we don't get it. And we say, God, that's not fair. I've worked here longer. I've worked harder. And I've lived out my faith in my company. That is not fair. You owe me. Or we're married and we long to have children, but God hasn't blessed us with children. And we look around and we see people having children out of wedlock. And we scream, God, that is not fair. You see it? Or we get on social media and we start looking at other people's, do you do this? Get on social media and see other people's vacation photos. And you say, I deserve that. I work harder than them. That's what I deserve, is that kind of vacation. You see what's happening there is we are appealing to our record. And we're saying, God, you owe me. You're holding out on me. You shortchanged me. And what we're actually doing there is... We, as entitled people, we are ungracious and ungrateful because we're so busy bookkeeping and keeping a record of how we're better than everyone else around us. And I do it too. I need to repent this morning as much as anyone. Listen to this quote by Robert Capon. Listen to this. Read this this week. And... He's done a lot of work on the parables. It's an amazing quote. 
Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of God. For in God's kingdom, the books are ignored forever. And there is only one book, and that is the book of life. And in that book, nothing stands against you. And if the world could have been saved by bookkeeping, he continues, it would have been saved by Moses, not Jesus. Where are you entitled this morning? You know how you find your entitlement? This week, start chasing your complaints. Start chasing your grumbling, and it will lead you to the heart of your entitlement. The healing of entitlement begins, you heard me say this a lot through Ecclesiastes, but it begins with remembering who you are and remembering who God is. Look at verse 15. God says, it's my vineyard. It's my money. Can I spend my money the way I want to spend my money? Who are you to tell me that I can't be generous? That's the essence of what he's saying. Let me say it another way. The healing of your entitlement comes when you remember your place. God is creator. We're creature. God is landowner. We are the workers in the vineyard. Let me say this as gently as I possibly can. He owes you nothing. He owes us nothing. We are like the workers in the marketplace and we are waiting for someone. We're like, please pick me. And God graciously comes and he chooses us and says, you, come work in my vineyard. Friends, let us never forget that it is a gift to even be in the vineyard at all. Lastly, the nature of God. This tells us something. You see, we have this tendency uh, because of sin in our hearts is we always think God's holding out on us. We think God, uh, he owes us, or he's uh, tight-fisted and is not generous. Well, we see the complete opposite here, and it really shows us the point of the passage. Look at verse 15, the second half. Do you begrudge my generosity? Let me say that another way. The landowner is basically saying, the only thing you guys can can, uh, accuse me of is not being generous. Or it's that I am too generous, sorry. The only thing you can accuse me of is that I am too generous. Because at the center of this passage is God's goodness and grace and kindness. Think about all these details. Have you ever thought about, maybe you had this question, why does he keep going back at 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock and then particularly at 5 o'clock? Why? Verse 8, he has a foreman. He's the landowner. He should be at the beach. (laughs) Send the foreman or send someone else to get the workers. Why? Why? Look at the last part there. Why does he go at 5 p.m. with one hour left in the workday? I mean, everyone with common sense would say, we'll shut it down and we'll start and pick up tomorrow. So it doesn't make sense. Why does he go at 5 p.m.? Well, there's only one explanation. 
is that the landowner, at the center of his being, he is full of compassion and grace and kindness and generosity. He's not thinking about profit. He's thinking about people. And he's using his resources and his abundant resources as a means to love and serve the people around him, particularly those in the marketplace. Does that sound familiar? That sound like the gospel to you? God, the landowner, abundant resources, using those resources to move into the world to save and serve the world. God, the abundant landowner, taking on flesh in the person of Jesus and coming down into the world and saving desperate people at the marketplace like us from their sin and brokenness. How does he do it? Well, he does it by dying the death that we deserve on the cross, but he also does it by living a perfect life. You know, there's only one 6 a.m. worker that ever got what he earned, and it was Jesus. Jesus earned through his perfect life the favor and the blessing of God. And you know how generous Jesus is? Is that he gives you by faith alone, that perfect record of obedience. So that now when God looks at you, he sees that you are someone, if you trust in him by faith, that has obeyed the law perfectly. Generosity, right at the very core of who God is. But not only do we see his generosity there, we see it in his response to the worker's entitlement. Look at verse 13, and we'll end here. Did you notice how the landowner responds to the grumbling workers? How do you respond to grumbling people that don't seem very grateful for what you've given them? Well, if you're like me, you don't respond very kindly. And look at how in verse 13, the landowner responds, friend. Friend. Why is that so important? Well, remember the context. Why is Jesus telling this parable at all? Well, he's telling the parable because remember Peter had asked, what's in it for me? I've followed you my whole life. Surely there is something in this for me. And in this parable we see Peter, don't we? Peter can be seen in the attitude of the early workers who'd worked harder and longer than everyone else and thought they deserved more. Peter followed Jesus early. He was called early. He'd suffered. He had given up a lot. And as, Jesus, and as Peter hears Jesus telling this parable, he had to have heard this parable and at least on the inside screamed, this is not fair, Jesus. Well, you see, very soon... Peter would understand that fairness is the last thing he would want from God. We'll see very soon in Matthew chapter 26, what Peter wanted and what he needed was grace, not fairness. You remember the story. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's arrested. He's tried. And they go to Peter and they're saying, hey, aren't you with this guy? Aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? 
And Peter, the one who said, I'll, I'll always get your back, Jesus. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you to the very end. What did he do? I don't know who you're talking about. I've never met this guy, Jesus. Not once, but three times. And so Jesus would use, in John chapter 21, would use this experience in Peter's life to teach him about grace. He would look at Peter in that moment and say, Friends, do not despise my generosity because you desperately need it. And we need that generosity too, don't we? We need that unfair but radical generosity and radical grace of God. Because how often have you said, I'll do better, Jesus. Uh, That sin that I struggle with, this is the last time I'm going to do it. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to cut out this sin. How often have you looked at that, th- that other person and said, I'll never do that. I can do a lot of things, but I won't do that. Or how often have you said, I'll stop doing a certain thing, uh, I promise. Or you look at Jesus and you say, I'll follow you anytime, anyplace, anywhere, only to find out that like Peter, we cannot uphold our end of the deal. We can't do what we're promised. We don't want fairness, friends. What we need is radical grace. And like Peter and like the early workers, we don't need to be offended by God's kindness and generosity because like those in the marketplace, we desperately need it. You see, we're all the 5 p.m. workers. We all are just happy to be in the vineyard. And when we understand that, when we... Understand God's grace and generosity towards us in our sin and failure. It will lead us from grumbling to gratitude. It will lead us to praise. Verse 16, instead of striving to be first, we will gladly be last. Because we will just be happy to be a part of God's kingdom and work in his vineyard. Psalm 103. God does not deal with us according to our sin. Nor does he deal with us or repay us according to our iniquities. Thanks and praise be to God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your generosity. Would you forgive us for our entitlement and for thinking that you're holding out on us and forgetting who you are in your generosity towards your people. Would you help us through your spirit to clearly see who you are so that we'll move from grumbling about what we don't have to gratitude and praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.